If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Wow, we've come, we've come a pretty good ways in this book so far. And for those of you who are somewhat new to our Wednesday nights, we, we usually walk through the books, different books of the Bible, and uh, we uh, dig deep into the Word and uh, find some great, great nuggets in here. So um, we, we just finished my favorite chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. Uh, that's, Acts chapter 10 is where really our beginning is as Gentiles. Um, that's where the first Gentile was born again, put his, him and all of his house put their faith in Christ. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoken tongues. And that was the very beginning of our experience of coming into the kingdom of God. And it's through that experience that Cornelius, the, the Italian Roman soldier, uh, experienced God. And uh, so because of that, it was a precedent-setting moment. It's the, by the law of first mention, it's something that we need to look back to and understand it, as it was in the beginning, so it is now. That's how God works. Yeah. I was, as it was in the beginning, so it is now. All right, And that is that Peter was preaching. They heard the word and believed. And Peter later on talked about in Acts 15, which we'll get to in later on weeks, that God purified their hearts by faith. Because they didn't even say a prayer. They didn't even ask Jesus to come into their heart. He was preaching. All of a sudden, they start speaking in tongues. And wow. How did that happen? Well, Peter later on gave instruction and show, told us exactly what was happening. They, they believed in the heart, and that's really the, always the issue with God. It's the heart that believes, all right? And that's what changes you. That's what gives you that new nature, your heart believing that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead the third day. Amen? You believe in him, and that's what Peter was speaking at that time. So now we're coming to Acts chapter 11, and so Peter has just... And, and remember, this was all a revolutionary experience for Peter, the Jew, who now found himself in a Gentile's house uh, and, and introducing the gospel to them, but also fellowshipping with them, eating with them. And, so, and he took six guys with him, six other Jews with him, because, you know, if you're going to go down, take other people with you, right? And so he has these six companions and they're all in this thing with him. He's got these eyewitnesses, uh, but also um, friends who will, who will burn with him, you know, if, uh, if things go the wrong way. And uh, we come to Acts chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, that is, Cornelius and his family. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them, right? Because we don't do that. Jews don't mingle with Gentiles, all right? But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And all the meat eaters said, Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. All right, but the voice that answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. That was the first, first um, 
revolutionary thought for Peter. What God has cleansed, you must not come. In other words, God has cleansed what once was unclean. Amen. God has cleansed it. And he saw in a picture, in a vision, what God, God was speaking of, the rest of the world. That no, not, no longer is salvation only of the Jews, but it is for all of us. Now, this was done three times, he says, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, I saw three men, uh, at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, here he is. Isn't this great? Moreover, these six guys were with me. All right, so I'm not the only guilty party here. These guys <laughs> accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us, that is Cornelius, he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you, and I want to just, if you can, highlight this in your Bible, underline it, whatever kind of device you've got, if it's a paper Paperback Bible. If you've got, if you've got, you know, the old ancient leather and, and paper Bible, uh, then underline it. Do whatever. If you've got it on your electronic device, you can highlight it or whatever. But just mark this verse because this is such an important verse for us to understand. And he says the angel says this to Cornelius, who will tell you what words, who will tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. Wow. So Peter's telling him, I'm, the angel tells him, this guy Peter, you got to send for him because he's got words that he's going to say to you, and those words are going to save you and your house. Think about it. All right? Now, we've already talked about Cornelius, but I want to back up just a moment and remember what the Bible had to say about him before Peter showed up at his house. Four things it said about this man in Acts chapter 10. Number one, he was a devout man. Number two, he feared God with all of his house. All right? Number three, he gave alms generously to the people, or that is, he gave alms offerings for the poor. He gave generously to the poor. And number four, he prayed to God always. Think about it. And if we could have any of those four things said about us, that, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Devout, fear God with all of our house, we give generously, and, and we pray all the time. I, I'll take any of those. Right? But the angel says to him, apparently, when Peter's recounting it, you need to send these guys to Joppa, the city, because there's a guy named Peter who's got to tell you something so that you and your house, what? Will be saved. What's that saying? You're not saved. You're a good man. Yeah, you pray all the time. Yeah, you're a generous giver. But that will not give you rightful entrance into heaven. Woo! Wow! There's something missing from this man's life. I mean, he looks like he's got it all together, right? I mean, he... He's a good guy. Not only is he, he have a great respect for God, but he's taught his children to have a great respect for God. Oh, my God. How would, that would just be so unjust. A guy like Cornelius who does all these wonderful things. Why would he spend eternity without God? That just doesn't seem right. I know. I know, my religious friend. 
I know it doesn't seem right. Unless you consider Jesus in the mix. That he would go through the grueling pain and death and agony and being forsaken by God so that we could have everlasting life. And like I said last week, if God is just going to accept people for what good things they did anyway, despite what Jesus did, whether he died, was buried, and rose again or not, doesn't matter if he just chooses. Yeah, he did enough more good things than bad. Let's go ahead and let him in too. Then if I'm Jesus, I'm going to say, well, if it doesn't really matter, if my sacrifice doesn't get them all, then no thank you, I'll stay right here in heaven. Because if you're going to do whatever you want to, if there are ways around me to get here, I don't want the whipping post. I don't want stripes laid on my back. I don't want nails in my hands and feet. I don't want a crown of thorns crushed down on my head. I'd rather not be beat up by men. I would rather not go through a mockery of a trial. And I certainly would rather not be forsaken by God Almighty. If, other, if, they, if people can get in some other way, if this doesn't win all of humanity, then I don't want any part of it. All right? What's unjust? It would be unjust of God to accept anyone outside of Jesus Christ. That would be unjust. It's only right that men call on the name of the Lord. That's the only way. That's justice. You know what the Scripture says? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. To forgive it. Just, you would think the scripture would say he's faithful and merciful to forgive us. But the scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us. Wow, it's justice for God to forgive us? Yes, because Jesus made that way, made it that way. Are you hearing me? Because of Jesus, it's only right that God forgives you. That's justice. Because the penalty, the sentence has already been carried out for our sin. So it's not just that you get judged for something Jesus got judged for. It's called double jeopardy. Right? You've already been absolved of the crime. So you can't be judged. That is justice. And there are penalties. Unfortunately, and that's why we have to carry these words by which people will be saved because there are lots of people out there hanging on the fact that they give to charities and they do good deeds and hoping that that will all add up in the end and that God will put their good on one side of the scale and the bad and hopefully the good will outweigh the bad. That's, that's going to be a horrifying day when they realize none of that mattered. None of it mattered. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but by me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, I love this. He will tell you words. Cornelius, I mean, he definitely got God's attention, though, didn't he? He says, your prayers, the angel told him, your prayers and your giving has come up as a memorial before God. It's got his attention. Right? So much so that God did, he went through the effort that he did to get Peter to his house to hear the gospel. Sent an angel to give him instructions. As I said last week, why didn't the angel just preach to Cornelius? Why wait all this time? Why have to send all the way down 30 miles south to Joppa? Why have to go through all that? Because angels don't preach the gospel. Because only redeemed can preach the message of the redeemed. It has to come from men's lips. Amen? 
All right, so, uh, so his good character, his generosity, and his fear of God, and his prayers could not save him. Only the words of the gospel have the power to save. Amen. And that's what happened. And in verse 43 of 10, Peter said, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And then it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That's all they needed to hear. Whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. That was the missing thing in Cornelius' life, hearing the gospel and believing it. All right? Hallelujah. It was those words, whoever believes in him. He is the only one whose works, Jesus' works, are the only ones that count for righteousness. And through faith in him do we then get credit. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4. It's funny you went to Romans 4 tonight. Romans chapter 4 for just a moment, and um, we'll come back to Acts 11. Romans 4, and let's look at verse 5. We can bring that up on the screen. It says, But to him who does not work, but believes. Now I want you to notice that Paul makes a big distinction between works and faith, doesn't he? He makes sure to tell us, Him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted or credited for righteousness. Do you see that? Simple faith is how you are made righteous. So he is the only one, notice that, he's the only one who can justify the ungodly. Ungodly people cannot justify themselves. All right? I love the way it reads. He justifies the ungodly. So the ungodly cannot produce enough good works to justify their ungodliness. Because remember, it's not the actions of man that are the problem. It's the condition of man. All right? So our condition had to change. That's why we say you need to be born again. You become a new creation. Your condition changes. Then all your actions mean something new and different. It's by grace through faith. And then it says, then it says verse 6, Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Apart from works. Notice that. Everybody say it. Apart from works. All right? Righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. See, David was not experiencing what you and I are experiencing today. He did not have Jesus, the, the, the benefit of having Jesus die, be buried, and rise again from the dead, right? He's all the way back here thousands of years prior looking by the Spirit and seeing the day that we're living in. And he said, blessed are those people, blessed is that man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He will not see sin. It's not even in his vision concerning you. He sees you righteous. He sees you like Jesus. He said, that person is blessed. As a matter of fact, that word blessed is the Greek word makarios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, makarios, and it means happy. Heck yeah. Hello. When God looks at me, he doesn't see sin. He doesn't see that I've sinned. Praise God. That makes me happy. Huh? How in the world can a Christian ever have a sad face knowing that God has forgiven them all their sins? Happy, uh, I like the way the, the uh, Amplified, happy, blessed, to be f- uh, fortunate, to be envied. 
Amen. David was envying you. See, in this day, oh, oh, wow. And to have the Spirit of God living in us, guys like him, they felt like schizophrenics, man. The Holy Spirit would come upon them, and they would do amazing things, and then he would just leave. And that's why David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It must have been maddening, right? But now he looks to our day when the Holy Spirit now dwells on the inside of us. He didn't just come and hang out with us. He came and moved in. He said, I'm perfectly comfortable being in you, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hmm? Amen. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 11. Let's go back there for a moment now. And listen to what Peter says. Remember he says, verse 14, he will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And then he says, as I began to speak, remember he's giving account to these guys who said, what are you doing, these uncircumcised, these pagan, heathen Gentiles? As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Now, how was that? What was the, what was the, the, the same thing that happened? Say it out loud. You guys are a good class. All right, that's exactly right. Remember, there were three major things that happened in Acts chapter 2 in their first experience. There was the rushing mighty wind. There was the fire that sat upon each of them. And then there were tongues. They spoke in tongues. Peter said the Holy Spirit fell upon them in Cornelius' house as upon us in the beginning. But at Cornelius' house, there's no account of a rushing mighty wind. There's no account of tongues of fire sitting upon each of them. And fire sitting upon each of them, but there was the fact that they spoke in tongues. That was the similar thing, all right? So he said, he fell upon them as upon us. They had the same experience that they all spoke in tongues. You got that so far, all right? Now watch this. Look at verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What got Peter's attention to say that's what the baptism of the Spirit is? You see what I'm saying? The Bible defines things like this so clearly. The Bible always answers itself. All right? Now, there are a lot of funny ideas out there. I mean, just not too long ago, I was listening to the radio, and I heard a long-time theologian and a minister of the gospel, and I I respect him on one level. has to be 50 years in the ministry. Say, in the next few minutes... And when we come back from our commercial, I'm going to define from the Scripture what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. Now, I know how this guy believes, so I thought, well, this ought to be interesting. Because I know that he doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. So, I listened through the commercials, and he comes back. He said, now I'm going to define for you from the Scriptures, from the Scriptures, what the term, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's been lots of confusion about this, and I want to help you understand it, help clear it up. Let me tell you what it is. What happens when you, are, when you become a child of God, the Spirit of God then comes to live inside of you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right? And then I was like, well, you said you're going to show us from the Scripture. And I say one verse of Scripture. Not one verse. Because there are no verses that say that. His denomination has taught him that. But the Scripture does not say that. Peter says... When, I, when he saw that the Spirit had fallen upon them as upon us, he said, then I remember the words of the Lord, that you'll be baptized with the Spirit. Now, I don't know how, how you read that and get something else from that. It's so clear. So let's just look at a couple of Scriptures, because I'm going to show you from the Scriptures 
really am, what the, how he came to this conclusion. Can, can, we, can we dig a little bit for just a little while? Okay, all right. So Peter now, by saying this, he, he truly brings understanding to the term baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3. verse. Now, there's not very many accounts of it, but I found something today. I'm going to have to admit to you, I didn't know this. But this is mentioned in all four Gospels. I knew it was in three, but I did not realize it was in all four. And that really encouraged me. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right? So this is not water baptism he's talking about. He says, I baptize with water, but there's one mightier than I come, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. Mark chapter what, what, what is that? What's Mark 1? Verse 8. Mark chapter 1. Now these are all pretty much the same account, but I, it, from different authors though. The same, the same story, but different authors. All right, I want you to see, the re, when we see the Bible making sure that we hear that same phrase over and over again, we've got to pay attention. All right? We've got to pay attention. Why is this? Because not all the stories of Christ are in all three, all four of the Gospels. All right? There are a certain few that are lined up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are ones we really need to pay attention to. And this right here, John saying this about Jesus is mentioned in all four. Now, right here in Mark now, the author says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark, I love Mark. He gets right to the point. He's, he's basically, what scholars believe is that he's kind of the outline that the other, the other authors went off of. Mark is basically an outline of just a quick summary of the life of Christ. That's why when you read the book of Mark, you'll see, and immediately, immediately this happened, immediately this happened, and straightway, and immediately this happened. He just gets right to the point. All right? Doesn't really go walk you through. Luke is going to walk you through every detail of the story. Why? Because Luke's a physician. Right? He's an educated man, so he wants... Every I dotted and every T crossed. He's going to give you every minute detail. It's really cool. All right, now the next one is Luke, chapter 3, and we've seen this one, uh, verse 16. It's, it's John saying, and this is Luke now writing, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming who sent. You see what I'm saying? Mark is saying the same thing, but look at Luke. He's really laying out every detail of what John said. One mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, John, chapter 1, verse 33. John says, I do not know him, but he who sent me to baptize you with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. All right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talks about this, gives this term, baptize, baptizing in the Holy Spirit, or baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus himself then says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right? So they kept hearing through the message of John that this day was coming when Jesus was going to come and he was going to baptize them with fire. Jesus said, you're right there. In just a few days, it's going to happen. All right? And on the day of Pentecost, 
They all spoke in other tongues. And in and, and Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and all of us house, they all spoke in tongues. And then Peter said, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, how, how is it possible to define the baptism of the Holy Spirit as any other thing than speaking in other tongues? See, that's where the confusion has come in. Because they want to make the Bible fit what they believe. Or they just won't say what the Bible says. They'll just say what they believe. All right? I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just saying we got to look at what the Scripture... The Bible has got the full answer. All right? The thing is, we got to be diligent enough to dig around long enough to see the whole picture. It takes time. It takes time. All right? You're fortunate to have a pastor who digs around. Amen. And spends a lot of time in the Scriptures, reading and praying and reading and reading and reading. Lots of reading. And I enjoy it. I love it. I want to be able to give you the best, the best meal in town. Amen. So uh, that's my opinion. But I got the microphone, so I'm going to tell it to you. So, all right. <laughs> all right, let's go down to verse, verse 17, all right, of Acts chapter 11. You all right? Did you learn something there? All right, for John... Uh, I'm sorry, if therefore God gave them, that is Cornelius and his house, if he gave them the same gift, everybody say the same gift, as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now let me just say this, just like salvation is a gift from God, so is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just like salvation is, so is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift from Almighty God. It's not required for salvation, but it should follow very soon after. You know, I'm, more and more I read this book of Acts and I see people's experience. The disciples wanted to make sure that people got filled with the Spirit almost immediately. All right? Remember we talked about Sunday, how it is an advantage. We want to get people at that advantageous point in their life as quickly as possible. Amen? Now, I've said things like this before, but my experience growing up in church was one where we worked up the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we really labored and worked for the manifestation of tongues. I mean, when it came time to pray for someone to receive their prayer language, I mean, I mean, it was just like pouncing on somebody, right? It's like everybody was waiting. Oh, you, have, you, don't, you don't speak in tongues? You want to pray in the Holy Ghost? Let's get them! Right? And it's like, oh my God, why did I open my, why did I, no, I don't want that. Right? And it's funny because it always kind of got weird. Because everybody's kind of just chilling, right? And as soon as something like that happens, it's like, so, you know, people would get around them, and then the pastor all of a sudden has this vibrato. Oh, Jesus. You know? And everything just gets weird. Right? Like, why? Why do you have to? Why? What is this? Right? And everybody, it just gets intense and weird. We're serious now. We're about to speak in tongues, right? So we're going to get loud and we're going to get intense and we're going to work it up. Right? This was my experience. I'm telling you. And it was, it was like cranking. More power, more power. Let's go, let's go. All right, so we're churning and we're tarrying and we're laboring and we're crying and we're working it up. 
And, and we were not going anywhere until they heard them speak in tongues. Right? And you'd hear, hear him say, hey, listen, we got all night. I'm like, I don't have all night. Quit saying that. Don't put me in that crowd. I don't have all night. I don't want to be here all night. Watching this person stand there and, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't I just, I don't know. Ugh, I'm so tired of think, experiences like that. Right? Oh, maybe it should. I don't, I don't. All right, let's do it again. Let's go again. Right? That was my experience. But then I read the book of Acts. I don't see any of that. I don't see any of that. I go, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Now I know I pick on my upbringing. I'm happy to have had the upbringing I have. I I truly am. Because the truth is, I'd rather be in a setting where people are hungry for God and maybe a bit ignorant than being in an atmosphere where there's no hunger and no desire for a move of the Spirit. Any day of the week, right? Rather be around a little bit of fire, it's just kind of wild. And be in a place where the fire ain't welcome. Cold, dead, first church of the frigid air. Right? Where church is a checklist for my Christian duty. Did it. Let's go eat. Right? And there's no real experiences with God. People aren't thronging to the house of God. I like what David says. He goes, he was talking about the house of God. He was recalling, he said, I used to go with the festive throng. The festive throng. That's what the house of God ought to be. A place we cannot wait to get to. We cannot wait to meet with God. We can't wait to be around our brothers and sisters and shake hands. Instead of going, oh, great, I've got to go see all those hypocrites. Hey, you're one too. Come on. We've got plenty of room for hypocrites. All right? No, I mean it. But this is, this, is something, this is something that we look forward to and not just something that we just want to get out of the way. Hmm. As, like I said, so I'm just looking through the Scriptures. And then Sunday morning, I was kind of leading the last three weeks up to Sunday morning and giving people the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We had four people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Laid my hands on them, and they spoke in tongues. There was no, oh, come on, Jesus. All right? There was no, just, I just told them, I'm going to pray. You're going to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to speak in tongues. Because that's our biblical example. That's what happened in the Bible. And we're going to have the Bible kind of experience with this. It's not so, why? Because remember what it said? If therefore God gave them the same gift, do you work for a gift? Or do you just receive a gift? And open up the gift and enjoy the gift. Yeah. Right? And unfortunately, spirit-filled churches, especially during that time, very legalistic. 
felt like if you, if you worked for it, if you really showed God you were really sincere, then maybe we could have a miracle. Then maybe you could get filled. Rather than just, hey, how did you receive Jesus? How did you get saved? Did you work and work and show God true? Okay, I'm really serious this time. Did you beg and plead and have to just, no. Or did you just believe? Did you just receive it? Right? If it's a gift, the only proper response to the gift is to receive it. I mean, wouldn't you feel a little bit weird if your child at Christmas time, you gave them the gifts, they're like, okay, what do I got to do to earn this? Nothing. It's a gift. Uh Amen. Amen. And unfortunately, that kind of thinking has crept into secular Christmas time, you know? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you what. Santa Claus is coming to town, right? And if you're not good, you're going to get a lump of coal. But if you're good, well, those aren't gifts. If you see it like that, you're earning Christmas gifts. <laughs> okay. Uh, not going to be a good Christmas for you this year. None of you have said that. Those are people that go to other churches. I know that never happens in our church. Amen. Okay. Are we ready? We're almost done. It's a gift. Verse 18, when they heard these things, of Acts 11, when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, I want you to understand that repentance comes after faith. Repentance comes after faith. Right? How many of you believe that, that Cornelius, Cornelius, had his mind right concerning things, the things of God. But he wasn't saved. Right? He was making all kinds of good choices. But he wasn't saved. But once he got saved, then all of those choices now made a huge difference. They all counted for something. Now all of his works, all of his... Then they counted for something because they had the right kind of foundation. All right? He says, God granted them, the Gentiles, repentance to life. Well, what is repentance? Repentance is just a lifestyle of renewing your mind to God. Renewing your mind to the Word of God. That is is changing the way you think. That's what repentance means. Change your mind. Right? You've received the salvation, and now you've got the Holy Spirit inside you who's going to guide you, and the things that you used to do, He's going to say, hey, that's not who you are anymore. Choose this way choose this, right? And you go, oh. And when you choose that, then you have repented. You've changed your mind, all right? Hey, and be patient. It's a lifelong walk. You're you're not going to repent yourself to perfection, all right? Not as long as you're on, but you you can grow, and, and you can become stronger, and you, and, and, and sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace, And repentance really is just receiving more grace. Amen? All right. Verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. 
But some, some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Remember the Hellenists were? They were the Jews who lived in the Greek culture and spoke the Greek language. And a lot of Jews thought, basically you know, shunned them because they felt like they were uh, betrayers of Ju- true Judaism. Uh, anyway, they spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Believed and turned to the Lord. Remember, faith, it always starts at faith. Believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came he had, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. What do you reckon that means? And of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. We were left at Acts chapter 9, verse 30. That's where it stops at talking about Paul, or Saul, I should say. He had been converted and then preached the gospel so boldly and disputed with whoever, he didn't care, uh, that his life was now in jeopardy. And the disciples, remember, they were putting their own necks in line to basically harbor this fugitive. I mean, he was such, he was trouble for the church either way. If he wasn't personally trying to kill the church, right, he was having to become a fugitive under their protection to keep him alive from those who were trying to kill him. So Saul was a difficulty for the church. As a matter of fact, after they took him down to Caesarea and shipped him off to Tarsus, which that's where he's from, his hometown uh, there in, in Rome, that once they shipped him off, the Bible says that the church had peace, and they were edified, and they multiplied, right? They just didn't know what to do with this guy. But now Barnabas feels that enough time apparently has gone by, and so he goes looking for for Saul. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled where the church, with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, Prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus, I like that name, except the meaning is kind of throws it off. Agabus means locust. <laughs> then one of them named Locust stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, or actually it should say, which was fulfilled in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, if you read any history about Claudius, that his whole reign was a reign of, of failed crops throughout the years. And as a matter of fact, they, they endured basically four famines under his, under his rule. But one of them was extremely severe. And lots of people died of starvation during that time. And, um, and, but, it, but it mostly happened in the Judea area. And so, apparently, now listen to this. This is really interesting. That these prophets come, and Agabus stands up by the Holy Spirit and says, there's a famine coming. All right? And look what happened. Look how the disciples respond to this. Next, next verse, verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. All right? Now, the Scripture doesn't really tell us, doesn't give us instruction uh, about all the details of that prophecy, maybe. Maybe he told them starting in Judea or specifically in Judea, how they knew to do it, to send the money actually to Judea when he said it's going to happen throughout all the world, or some believed he meant all the Roman Empire. But Judea, how did they know to do that except 
apparently by the Spirit of God. So in preparation, they were doomsday preppers apparently, and so they were getting all their MREs and their um, uh, jugs of water, and <laughs> they're sending them out there to, to Judea, right? They gathered some supplies for them, some extra ammo. And uh, anyway, so they, they sent it all that way. Think about this for a moment. These guys took before disaster hit. Now, we're real good about cleaning up after the disaster. I mean, I'm grateful to God that we have disaster relief. But isn't it, isn't it unfortunate that we don't, can't see it coming? But, you know, the, the Lord gives us knowledge, doesn't he? And they had foreknowledge of a disaster that was coming, and God sent disaster relief before it actually came. See, this is the cool advantage of walking with God, that He can show you things to protect you, to provide for you before you ever even need that provision, before you even see it coming. God is on our side, isn't He? All right? So they send relief to Judea, and then not much longer, I'm sure they were going, oh, thank God. Thank God for locusts speaking up. Then disciples each according to his ability determined to send relief. You know, you know what that says? According to his ability. That's all, that's all the Lord. That's the beauty of the church right there. That when everyone does something, then we can do great things. When everyone does their part, according to your own ability, then we've got a mighty, mighty gift. Right? Okay. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Father, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the words that were spoken to us, the encouraging words, God, the prophetic word, God, the, and Lord, the scriptures that have been laid out before us. Lord, we thank you that your word is life to those who find it and its health to all of their flesh. We thank you for the spirit of the living God who shows us things to come, who guides us into all truth, who truly shows us the nature of God, and that is that God is on our side. God is with us. And that's why we can boldly proclaim these promises from the Scripture that no evil shall befall us. No plague shall come near our dwelling. You give your angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. Thank you, Father God, for your provision. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that Christ died for our sins that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And those words, the words of the gospel, have all the power in them to save people and their households. God, all we need to do is tell them. Thank you for the opportunities that we have every day in our neighborhoods, in our jobs. When we're out there just in public, God, wherever we go, we carry a message that has power to save people's lives. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here tonight. And I pray that grace and peace would be multiplied to them abundantly from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you provide for them. I thank you that they are healed by Jesus' stripes. I thank you that when they lie down at night, they lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. They are the blessed of God. 
They are blessed. And they are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. That is, they, you will bless them and they will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right. Sunday morning, we will see you then. I love you very much. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.